Griffiths again. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Pure Football Podcast, the podcast that's given you the unbiased Scottish voice, giving you in-depth insight into football from the local park to the World Cup. And as ever, I'm Gavin Miller and I'm joined by my co-host, Owen Brown. Owen, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks Gavin. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, mate. I'm really good. So Owen, the, it was uh, the first weekend back of Scottish football and I just I want a, a quick take from you. How did it feel to have our glorious game back on the park? It was excellent. Really, really exciting to have a bit of football, um, Scottish football at least, to watch again. Yeah, so it was uh, a really good feeling for me. What about you? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, so uh, I'm, I was uh, down in England at Centre Parks treating myself to the high life, you know. Um, so what other way could you could you want to start a weekend with Scottish football and loads of kids screaming at Centre Parks? So, so yeah, <laughs> all good, all good. Um, but Owen, I want to get just a couple of quick hot takes, reactions from you uh, about this weekend. Um, so what was your favourite or best moment of the weekend's action? Uh, best moment was Michael Halloran making it feel just like this was the return of Scottish football with his kind of all-round idiocy, uh, managing to get sent off by half-time for multiple wee silly things. That just felt like, yeah, Scottish football's back. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a pretty accurate way to sum up Scottish football. Michael Halloran doing something stupid. Um, and what about the worst moment of the weekend's action? It was probably watching Aberdeen. Um, so, yeah, didn't have a lot of fun watching how Aberdeen were playing. Um, and I think from kind of looking along um, around online afterwards, a lot of Aberdeen fans have kind of felt the same about that. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the worst moment for me, having, having to watch them. No, no offence meant to any Aberdeen fans, um, but um, I struggle watching the team at the moment. And I think I hope that improves throughout the season. I think that's interesting because that's something we sort of spoke about on last week's podcast that we felt that there might be some struggles for Aberdeen in terms of creativity and and uh, how they actually play. Um, so I, I guess mm. we may as well go straight into the Aberdeen versus Rangers game, um, which kicked us off. Uh, Rangers were 1-0 sure. victors in this with a goal from Ryan Kemp. But Owen, just to get get us uh, started, what was your thoughts on the on the lineups for this game? Was there anything that stood out to you? Uh, well, I think for Rangers it was pretty much as expected, except for at the back, where new signing Balogun came in for Edmondson, and I felt that was, as I said, a little bit unexpected, maybe a little bit unfair on Edmondson, who I think has done uh, generally okay recently in the friendlies. I know there was a kind of error that maybe could be attributed to him in uh, one of the games in France, but you know, generally looked. Um, pretty good. I, I think I'd felt I watched the the Rangers friendly against Motherwell, um, and I I think I and I felt things were a bit mixed. I, I felt that off the ball defensively he looked good, whereas on the ball I did think that there was maybe um, some question marks, and maybe that's why Gerard brought in Balogun, who's very calm and composed, assured on the ball, and would probably be a better bet in terms of kind of um, getting the build up, build up going and playing maybe the sort of riskier, um, more progressive passes from the back that Rangers really need to start doing. Um, in terms of Aberdeen, obviously they're without Cosgrove and indeed Main. So Bruce Anderson got the knob up, nod up front. Um, I, I was kind of pleased to see Hernandez get a start at right back, um, but 
felt that on the other side, um, potentially Constein and Hayes were, you know, as we've spoken about before, a bit of a an old age pensioner combination on that side. Um, but yeah, that, that was my kind of brief thoughts. Any thoughts for you on what you saw from the lineups? Yeah, just the same. I was a little bit surprised to see Balogun come straight in. I thought, uh, you know, he's arrived fairly late into uh, into the sort of training, sort of pre-season type. Um, mm. So I thought it might be a while before we've seen him come in. But uh, I guess, you know, uh, Edmondson, like you said, there he's, I think he's, He's quite a limited player in terms of his, uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but what you're going to get from him versus what you you're going to get from the ceiling of Balogun is is not the same. So I guess it makes sense. Um, for Aberdeen, uh, I think again there's there's some things that we've already covered that I, I think there's just a lack of creativity in that team that's just going to be a bit of a hindrance. So we'll we'll move on to the game itself then. So going into it, what did you expect from from this game, Owen? Well, I was kind of looking forward to seeing the kind of contrast between Rangers' kind of uh, quite fluid front three and Aberdeen's kind of defensive system. Um, thought it would be interesting to see if this would be a game in which Rangers would um, have that kind of front three or even maybe four if you include Arebo, um, really click and if they could create some good clear-cut chances for Morelos, particularly with maybe being able to pull um, Aberdeen's defenders around the place a bit. I also thought it might be interesting to see if there was a bit of a aerial test for Balogun and Goldson uh, and see how they, they cope with that. So those were the kind of things that I expected. But overall, expected Rangers to probably have majority of the possession um, and you know um, be a, a case of them seeing if they could kind of manipulate Aberdeen and break them down to score. Yeah, I think that's a pretty accurate way to, to sort of describe this. I felt like um, in terms of style of play, I've obviously mentioned it two or three times now, but I think it, you struggle to see how Aberdeen are going to you know, cause cause issues for teams, especially without the you know Sam Cosgrove and Curtis Maines. Uh, I think it really is is an issue mm. for them. And I, I do still think that there's, um, there's quite a lot needed to be done to improve that team overall, but yeah, I think you're right. Rangers were were always going to approach this with a an element of control, and, and almost I felt like uh, there was going to be an element of just making sure you got the job done, um, and that's why I thought maybe Glenn Kamara came in as a bit of a security blanket when we know that he's maybe not the most progressive and uh, not maybe the most threatening on the ball itself. So Rangers then uh, opened the scoring with uh, a great finish from Ryan Kent. Um, I felt like this was. Uh, Really similar to the goal in some sense against Braga uh, in the Europa League. Um, I think you've seen uh, Morelos drop deeper, um, mm. kind of similar to what the, happened in the Braga game for the space for Kent to run into. But Owen, give me your your sort of view on, on what you've seen for that goal. Yeah, well, I'd agree with that. I mean, it's the ideal thing that you want if you're trying to do this, right? Uh, if That you want to happen, I mean. So if you're wanting Morelos and Hadji to kind of drop deep, and pull the Aberdeen defence out. You also need somebody to stretch it the other way, which you know Kent is the obvious candidate to do, um, and that's what happened. Um, and I think that um, in terms of the kind of end bits, it was good movement from Morelos, nice pass, and and as you said, Kent um, took the goal really well. Nice composed finish um, after a, a good run through. A really good goal from Rangers' perspective. I think most of the criticism for this goal might be in terms of focusing in on McKenna and Taylor, and certainly it wasn't ideal. You know the way that they got pulled apart, and then there's a maybe a little bit of 
a mess up in terms of a lack of unity in terms of you know knowing whether you're going to try and push up or not. But it's kind of issues beforehand. There's a big, big gap behind Aberdeen's midfield. You know, they got kind of sucked forward and then there's a, a kind of lack of structure there um, and that gets bypassed pretty easily. Um, so I think this is a, a really good example, this goal, of what Rangers would want to do. You know, I would imagine this has been the type of goal that they've said, look, we'll try and make this kind of chance against Aberdeen. And also the type of chance that you know maybe means that Aberdeen should have a, a real think about how they're approaching things and where their midfield is placed and how these things can happen to them. Um, so a good example of a goal from a Rangers versus Aberdeen game, I think. Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on there. I think there's certainly an element of or question marks for me over the mobility uh, in the Aberdeen team overall. Um, and I think that's something that this this goal played in you know an absolute favour for Rangers. And I believe it's a, a pattern of play that they'll try and execute more often. Um, I think Morelos done a really good job pulling McKenna as far forward as he did. But this is where, you know, on the pod last week mentioned about McKenna having to have a good year. And these are the sort of things that I think he's going to have to try and cut out and make smarter decisions with um, and be a bit more game aware of, of what's happening round about him. But there's, like you said, there's a whole there's a whole sort of um, category of things. You need, yeah, you need the other parts of the system to work in your favour uh, you know if you're McKenna as well you know what's he supposed to do at that point you know if the midfield's so absent who's going to pick up Morelos if yeah. he does drop like that if McKenna doesn't um, so but yeah um, not 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 ideal uh, and I guess um, you know it, it was a, a kind of as we touched on a good example of the sort of goal that Rangers might be trying to make and a, and a good example of what they were asking Morelos to do throughout this game you know so I guess the you know, Morelos hasn't scored in pre-season matches, didn't score in this game, um, didn't really have any great great chances either. But, uh, you know, you could maybe say that his role in, in this match um, was to help facilitate um, chances for others. And there was quite a lot of examples of that. And, and he was, I, I think you could also sense it from watching him, that the way he was laying things off for other people and so on, maybe wasn't like, in the past where you might expect Morelos to just go, oh, I'm, I'm just going to go for it here and have a shot. You know, it was quite considered. So that that's just maybe something to reflect on as well, whether that was a deliberate thing just for this game, given, you know, what Jared might have thought it could create or or just something to keep an eye on with Morelos a bit more dropping deep, a bit more linking and short passing. Yep. You know? Okay. So in terms of, you know, Aberdeen in this game, they, they didn't really do a whole lot. I think they tried to out-physical uh, sorry, out sort of muscle rangers in the the physical compartment as an element of being creative of uh, sorry being creative and trying to stop rangers from getting into any sort of rhythm. It did sort of disrupt the game. There was sort of two incidents I just wanted to quickly touch on. So there was the mm-hmm. McKenna and Balogun from the the corner. Did you have any thoughts on that specifically? Did you think there was anything um, more than than what happened there? Do you think that McKenna knew what it was doing, or do you think it's just a unfortunate sort of thing and the post obviously was just there <laughs> I, I, I think yeah as posts tend to be they, <laughs> they are just there so um, but yeah I, I don't think that was intentional for McKenna at all you know I mean if the ball falls to you in that kind of situation three yards out you, you're kind of not necessarily yeah. thinking a little bit too much about anything but let's bundle this in the net so I, I don't view that as being intentional at all the only, it's the only thing I would say briefly about um, that chance is that I thought McGregor was pretty shocking for that I'm surprised that he didn't come um, for that, that corner ball um, but yeah, in terms of that one, um, I, I wouldn't have said there was any kind of uh, intent. It was obviously a shame 
for Balogun, a tough thing to happen, but just an accident, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there's been a few things sort of made out about it, but I think it's yeah, it's just it's an instinctive moment. Um, and what about Considine on our field? Did you think that was the right decision from the referee? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you could even check, you know, see that from uh, Johnny Hayes putting his head in his hands when he kind of saw it happening. Um, it was pretty reckless. Um, I, I think if if you kind of zoom in and, and watch it multiple, multiple times, which we may have done. Um, <laughs> you, you can see that Constant might be able to say that Arfield's feet were kind of raised a wee bit as well, but I think Arfield is basically getting out of the way at that point, and it's it's pretty reckless from Constantine. And look, I, I would say that if you do stuff like that, you, you run the risk of it being a red card. So to me, it doesn't really matter whether you know you want to get into a kind of um, tiny wee debate about whether things should be a red card or not. Mm-hmm. I, I would just say to players, don't don't put yourself in a position where you know that's an option for the referee, because you know referees will and should try and protect players. Um, so you're going to get sent off. You know. Yeah. Okay, so let's maybe think about this a little bit differently then. On so, if you were Aberdeen um, and you could sort of relive this match, what would you try and do to, to try and get a result from this? Is then you you spotted from a tactical point of view that you feel that Aberdeen maybe could have tried to exploit. Um, well, I guess the first thing maybe is the, the set pieces. So given, you know, we just mentioned the corner that Balogun hurt himself at and had kind of question marks over McGregor not coming for the ball. Um, and obviously Aberdeen are pretty good at delivering crosses. Clearly that, that should be a focus and I'm sure it was. Um, but, you know, you might have expected them to maybe make a little bit more of it. And, and I haven't seen that specifically. You might be wanting to try and put balls in at the near post, you know, kind of try and see if, you, you know, there are issues for McGregor in terms of coming for those kind of things and, and you know, get your bigger guys on top of them. Um, beyond that, I guess the other things to think about when you're playing Rangers are that the, the space that you have when you have the ball tends to be on the flanks, you know, through your own kind of fullbacks due to the narrow front three. And obviously that's by design. Your Rangers don't mind that. That's the plan. But I felt that that could suit Aberdeen as they, you know, they, they want to use the wide areas and get crosses in. And I think, you know, it was kind of tough for them due to Maine and Cosgrove being out, but I think they maybe kind of could have done a bit more to try and isolate the Rangers fullbacks 1v1 um, by getting down those areas um, a bit quicker, getting the ball into those areas in a controlled, quicker way. They didn't really manage to do that enough, especially down the right flank, I felt. Um, and, you know, that's very obvious basics, but I think that would have been the kind of key out ball for them to try and hit in a controlled way. Um, the, the other thing I think is that with Jack and Kamara and the team for Rangers, um, it can mean that both those guys are playing in somewhat the same areas at the same time um, when Rangers are in possession. Um, and although they were in the same areas, there was often maybe a little bit too much distance um, from them, um, which I, I think meant that the setup wasn't quite right for Rangers in terms of progressing the ball from them and moving it. So I, I did feel that there were moments where... Aberdeen maybe could have looked for a way to squeeze and press on them and force some turnovers high. Obviously risky because if you commit you know, too much, then they can pass it in behind you. But maybe a way for the wide midfielders to squeeze in and press on those guys as long as the midfield was really aware of the those front three, particularly Adji and Morelos dropping deep and, and thought about when to pick up responsibility from the centre-backs. So th- those might have been... Things to kind of think about to focus on. What about you? Anything else that you think? Uh, no, I, I kind of agree with what you, you, you sort of mentioned. I think that it's very difficult for Aberdeen just now. Just even when you just look at the the sort of lineup, there's 
there's not a lot of creativity in the sort of central areas. That means that you have to go to the wider areas to, to make something happen. If you're not going to the wider areas, then nothing's really going to happen. Um, so it's, yeah, it was definitely a difficult um, opener for Aberdeen. But from a Rangers perspective, how important would you say this win was on? I think this is very important. I think that you might consider on paper this to have been one of their tougher fixtures. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's very encouraging to get it, get it out of the way um, with a win. And also no kind of real fitness or injury doubts before the Europa League game against Leverkusen um, later this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the, the other thing to keep in mind is they've got quite a tight schedule. So I think they now play Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday. Um, so, you know, to kind of get through that smoothly was um, a good thing. Very, very important one. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And uh, I think it'll be really interesting to see how Rangers get uh you know, get through this this period and I think, you know, we might see a little bit of rotation. I wonder how they'll approach the Labour Cruising game considering the three one down. Um so Yeah, do you think they might be inclined to not exactly play a full strength team? I think you might see two or three starters maybe given an opportunity to, to rest. And I know obviously the players you would imagine um are going to be fairly you know, fit considering they've not had a grueling schedule, but I think this might be an mm. opportunity to do so. Uh, okay, so let's. Do, sorry, on you go. That doesn't strike me that Gerard would be the sort of guy to do that. I don't but, think he um, is either, but um, I think it might we'll be a, a wise move. But we'll see. We'll mm. see. Um, so let's move on then to um, two managerial debuts uh, this weekend from Mickey Mellon and Callum Davidson, respectively, taking over at Dundee United and St Johnston. I guess for me, on that, do you think these are two teams that you maybe uh, sort of before obviously the the halt last season, it would have been quite surprising to think these two clubs would have been going into this year with new managers. Definitely. I mean, I think uh, there were doubts about whether Tommy Wright would continue for part of last season. You know, there seems to have been some um, issues with him and and some people above him. And I think you and I had also thought at certain points whether St. Johnston themselves might think that it was time for a, a refresh. You know, he'd been there for a long time. Um, but obviously, there's the you know the balancing act in terms of them maybe not wanting to take a risk that might see them down, and definitely the you know Robbie Nielsen move to Hearts came a little bit out of left field. Um, so yeah, two new guys, bit of a surprise that both clubs have uh, new managers at this point. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So I guess moving into it then, so Mickey Mellon uh, probably couldn't have wished for a better start. Uh, Mickey Clark mm. opening the scoring from the penalty spot, but for me it felt quite a nice pattern of play that created the chance for Clark to then win the penalty. I think it was actually, was it Liam Craig that handled the ball as well? Um, mm. So, yeah, give me just your sort of opening thoughts on the, the game on. Yeah, I thought that was a nice goal, um, or at least a nice build-up to the goal, as you mentioned. I, I think from Dundee United, there was a bit of a mix um, in this game in terms of their time in possession, from my perspective. So there were some nice elements, and I think you saw a wee bit of that with the, the lead-up to the penalty with kind of third-man runs. Um, you could see that Shanklin was trying to get, you know, um, in behind, but you know, after it was laid off, they, they looked for other options, other people getting ahead of the ball, which is good. But there were other elements um, during the game where maybe they were relying a little bit more on kind of individual good moments, which is the sort of thing that we've kind of seen before, maybe from from Dundee United. Um, but yeah, a, a really really good start from them, and pleased for Nicky Clark. Um, obviously, he's been out with a very serious injury, and it's. Um, nice to see somebody like that come back and kind of hit the ground running. So good for him. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess going from a, a really good moment to your, uh, I guess your favourite moment of the weekend, Michael Halloran's <laughs> idiocy. Um, talk to him about that. Was that was there anything to talk about here, or was it just 
Michael Halloran being Michael Halloran. I don't know. I I think you could probably, if you're Michael Harlan, make some quibbles with each of the kind of incidents, but it was just you know the the build up of them and the fact that each of them was probably uh, bad enough to have a yellow. You know, all kind of. I think there were three, maybe even four kind of incidents. So yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of coming um, and and just silly from him. I think he gave the the referee an opportunity to do it, and. Um, just dumb, you know, you're 1-0 down, it's not even reached half-time, and, and you put your team in a position like that, not good. No. Okay, so, again, there wasn't a, a huge amount of talking points here in this game, but let's move on to this Johnson equaliser. Um, so talk me through what you've seen here. Was it poor defending from Mark Conley, or was it something else? I think there's quite a lot going on at this goal. It's quite an interesting one to watch if, if people, you know, maybe want to, if they've not seen the match, go and watch the, the I guess, the YouTube highlights. So obviously Connolly um, has a kind of poor clearance in the box that probably most of the focus will be on. Um, and I think he was unfortunate. I think generally he had quite a good game um, in this match. It's just a misconnection. You know, it's obviously catastrophic in terms of where it lands up and what happens, but it's a bit of an unlucky thing. Um, the finish is ridiculously good, you know, um, and that's unfortunate for Connolly, but there's there's a lot of things beforehand. Um, so Harks is kind of asleep in the mm-hmm. midfield um, as Craig kind of goes in behind him in the, in the build-up. But I think that there's like other things to unpack. So it's quite bad structure from United overall. They get kind of bunched up um, on their left-hand side, St. Johnston's right-hand side, with four of their players kind of drawn to the three St. Johnston players around the ball, and, and plus then Harks is just kind of 10 yards inside ball-watching. Ball um, but the key thing, I think, that makes that happen is um, Weatherspoon's movement um, for St. Johnston. So he's kind of in the centre-forward spot, but he drags Reynolds out um, from the centre-back spot to the right wing. And and then Weatherspoon drops off and kind of hovers around Harks. So that that's kind of moved Reynolds out of the box, but it's also given Harks, uh, you know, something to occupy him as well. And it reduces United's numbers in the box, and and that kind of helps Craig happen to be free when the ball's poorly dealt with. So I think the criticism will mainly land on Connolly's poor clearance, but I think this is generally a, a kind of nice little example of what can happen if people follow their man needlessly, don't hand over, ball watch. Um, and also if you're able to try and manipulate your opposition into committing too many people into one area. Um, so it's, it's a good goal to watch, I think. you know, um, shows that, uh, as an example, um, it's not just about the final mistake that leads to a goal. You know, It's about kind of unpacking all the things that can lead Absolutely. to that. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, uh, a, well, a well-taken goal by, by Craig um, does really well to be in the right spot and, and have the composure and the technique to, to finish it against uh, Seagrace, who I think is a, a pretty good goalkeeper and had a good game otherwise. Yeah, I think uh, it was a, an excellent finish and I know we've not really spoken that much about it, but it's an incredible uh, technique from uh, Liam Craig to be able to strike that on the volley um, and to have that level of accuracy on it as well. So really good goal from his point of view. It's worth noting that tonight uh, Dundee United have signed uh, Ryan Edwards, who was at Blackpool last year. Uh, I had a quick look at his his profile. I've not watched any of his clips yet, but what I can tell you is that he is someone that wins a lot of headers um, a lot. He's very tall, isn't he? Yeah, six foot five. He's a huge guy. Um, Mm. So, you know, when I looked at it, he's by by the the data, he's one of the best from League uh, One in terms of actually winning a header. So um, it'll be interesting to see how he fits in, and obviously it gives you 
uh, a bit of a set piece threat. So that's something mm-hmm. to maybe look out for in the future from Dundee United as well. Do you think both okay. teams will be happy uh, with this result, Owen, or do you think one or another would be disappointed? Um, I think they'll probably both be disappointed. I mean, I think going into the game, both would have hoped that this would be a game that they would win. Um, you know, first game of the season, put a marker down also against a team that you might expect to be around about the same sort of positions in the league as you. I, I think after the game, Dundee United would certainly be unhappy, you know, uh, been one up from early in the game and had a, a man advantage since half time. So, you know, you'd, you'd have to say that's an ideal situation to be in. Um, you know, you'd expect to win from that point, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's move on from Dundee over to Edinburgh. Uh, we've seen Hibs take on Kilmarnock. And on the first question I have for you is what's your thoughts on the artificial crowd noise? Is it something you would keep or something you would get rid of? Um, I'd get rid of it. Um, I love being able to hear the players and the coaching staff. That's the kind of benefit for me. So, for instance, when I'm watching it on uh, Sky or whoever, I'll always go to the channel that has um, um, no no kind of artificial crowd noise. What about you? Do you like it? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same as you. I don't, I don't particularly like it. Um, I quite like the. It gives it almost the element of uh, for anyone that's seen it a bit of the all or nothing, um, the NFL documentaries where, you know, all the players are mic'd up and stuff like that, so mm-hmm. when you can hear the, you know, the things that you're mentioning, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, for me, let's get the, the crowd noise in the bin. Um, okay. So, I guess, oh, and the opening question I have for you is, uh, what's the goalie doing um, <laughs> from from this opener? Yeah, it's pretty mad from uh, Eastwood. Yeah, um, I guess it's just a rush of blood to the head, but there was really no need at all um, for him to kind of gamble in that way. I mean, uh, Boyle's still pretty far out, and I think that the defence could maybe have got back to him before he got in the box. Um, I think that um, Eastwood ended up being subbed at half time, but it seems like he did have an injury, and, and Alex Dyer said that he wouldn't have taken off if not for that. But certainly not a great start to his loan move and it, it certainly wasn't a great start to this game was it no definitely not I thought there was just one or two things that just to get a quick sort of take on as well so cut Broadfoot with a you know a slip um, it just seemed like an, as I'm not surprised because he's not going to be the most mobile or agile defender in the league but um, he just sort of gets twisted by Boyle's movement slips uh, and then Fitton, uh, Stuart Finlay he's beaten at the, the post it was a you know a good strike by Martin Boyle but I just thought could Finlay have maybe done a little bit better or am I being too uh, tight here um, I think you've been tough on Finlay um, I think Broadfoot yeah it's a bad slip um, maybe some sort of microwaved egg uh, exploded <laughs> under his foot <laughs> um, but yeah it's an exceptionally well taken finish by Boyle I think very composed well placed strike and yeah I think you're being Tough on Finlay, probably. Um, I would, I would say it's a good finish. Okay, okay. Um, so Hibbs obviously took the lead. Martin Boyle. Um, I did. I just want to give a quick shout out to the the all the kangaroos that Hibbs put in the stadium. I thought that was that was mm. pretty funny. Um, so I think that was like a, a supporters club from in Australia or something. Oh, nice. Um, that that kind of asked to get those. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, Martin Boyle's obviously opened the scoring for Hibs. He then follows it up with uh, the second goal of the game. And it's I thought it was you know a bit of a stramash. The ball breaks to, to Scott Allen, uh, who I thought had a nice little bit of play to, I, so, I suppose, sort of calmly get past Tishbola, who sort of dives in. Um, but for me, I was just, at this point, it seemed like there was such a big gap between 
uh, the Kilmarnock lines, like the, the gap between the defensive line and the midfield here was just incredible. Alan had so much space to run into. And then you see Martin Boyle and Kevin Nisbet peel off into the wider areas, making some really nice movement and even more space for Alan to attack into. What was your thought, thoughts on this? Um, just talk me through what you've seen from Boyle and the finish itself. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with your thoughts on that, Gavin. I think there were some warning signs leading up to this goal um, with what Hibbs wanted to do. A lot of kind of sweeping movement and quite uh, quick passing, which was nice to see. And yeah, as you said, um, I thought Scott Allen did brilliantly, um, showed real composure um, against what was, to be fair, real naivety from Tishbola, um, and then some good kind of direct ball carrying to get it up the pitch. And then it was interesting, like you said, to see um, Nisbet and Boyle kind of... Um, peel off, split and go wide there. I guess that kind of shows maybe the benefit of how strikers of their type. Um, and that wasn't um, the only kind of time in this match that you kind of saw the benefit of having guys that maybe also like to go wide um, because Hibs kind of switched formation quite a few times in this game. And, it, you know, they started with a 3-5-2, but they could move into kind of 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1. Um, so, yeah, they, they kind of, you know, peeled off wide. But, I think that if I was a Kilmarnock fan, as much as obviously there were some real flaws that got the ball to that point, I'd be pretty annoyed that Boyle scored from the position he received the ball in. Um, you know, he's he's obviously a very good player, but I thought that um, they didn't make it tough enough for Boyle. Uh, Waters at left back, his body shape was a bit tentative. Um, and I think it's very, very likely that Boyle wants to use his right foot in that situation. So, you know, you need to kind of um, be focused on that and, and squeeze things a little bit better and you know, force him down the line. Um, it's a nice finish, and it's probably a tough one for the keeper, given it kind of curls away from him. But I think looking at the keeper, he could have been like a step further out towards the ball, um, towards Boyle to you know narrow the angle a wee bit more and a touch more central. And I think that he needs to be a little bit more set. He's taking kind of wee adjustment steps right before the strike, which sort of slows his ability to start diving. So. A good goal, a nice breakaway, the sort of thing that Hibs would want to do to try and you know punish a team like this. Um, and Boyle did great, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd be disappointed with that if I was Kelly for for the actual finish and the goal itself. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? You you think that you know if we say that all the things that led up to Boyle having the ball happened and, and shouldn't have happened. What about when Boyle gets it? Do you, do you think you'd expect better from yeah. that point on? Yeah, I think that's some really fair analysis there. And I, I did think that, that Waters could have been a little bit tighter, um, could have been a bit more decisive in his, his sort of defensive actions. Uh, I think you're really wanting to just push Boyle as wide as you possibly can, not even give him an option to sort of go centrally. Um, so mm. you've got to react quickly to be able to do that. And you've got to be able to close him down uh, better as well. But moving on from that, um, we've seen an absolute spectacular free kick from Chris Burke. Uh, yes, Chris mm. Burke is still playing. Uh, I guess that <laughs> there's the only thing I really had to, to position it on this one was, do you think Marciano could have done any better or has that been too hard? Um, I think maybe he could have. Um, but I think the thing I would say about this is the wall was a bit weird for me. Um, so Hibs have set up with three in the wall, but then they have two more people positioned just off to the right of it, and they're, they're not man-marking. It's a little bit unclear to me what the kind of pu- purpose of those guys is. Um, I think one of those could have been in the wall too to make it a bit tougher for Burke. Um, Nisbet um, is the guy who's closest to the wall but not in it, and I think he kind of affects Marciano's vision um, with kind of an ineffective movement towards the ball. So, yes, I think that Marciano could maybe have done better, but you can help him out a little bit more. 
Um, but that's not to take anything away from Burke. It's a it's a pretty ridiculous kind of um, strike. You know, one of those kind of fierce sort of drives that just lands right in the kind of top corner. Really, really nice hit. Yeah, yeah. It was a was a spectacular free kick to be, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, that is right. It's interesting that you point that out about the wall. It's something that I, I think, you know, you maybe don't really realize these things when you're watching the the game itself. So I think that's a really good mm. spot on. Um, I guess my next sort of question is: I've just got a little bit of a weird feeling around about Kilmarnock in general. They don't seem to have much of a clear strategy. Um, and I just wonder: do you think Alex Dyer will be given time to get it right? Um, that'll be an interest. Excuse me, an interesting one to have a look at. I I was kind of thinking about. It, I said, I wonder what impact um, COVID nineteen will have on this kind of situation. I think that clubs might be keen not to spend money on compensation and hiring new managers, but also obviously clubs will really not want to face relegation this season. Um, so it, it's hard to say what impact it will have, but I think it will have one. I think the other thing to think about is that the transfer window is open pretty late until. Um, what two months from now, October the fifth, so that gives another level of complexity in terms of you know waiting to see what other clubs do, you know seeing what you can do, and also seeing whether other managers might become available. And um, because if if you are maybe going to consider getting rid of Dyer, you need to think about who will I get in instead. And, and given the English season's going to you know start later, and well other se- you know seasons in lots of countries are going to start later, it, it maybe limits the availability of other managers. Um, so yeah, difficult to say. I, I think that um, Kilmarnock must be keen for a period of stability, um, and I think that the league is going to be very unpredictable between kind of third and twelfth. Um, so clubs will probably have to give it a bit of time to assess things properly. Um, so I, I guess what I'm saying is, shall we come back to this somewhere around say eight matches in, and we'll have a look at some stats and see who should be worried and whether Dyer should or shouldn't be given time at that point. Yeah, I think that sounds like a good plan. So week eight, uh, make sure that you're tuning in and we'll have some more uh, informed views on this rather than just opinions. Uh, so let's move on then to St Mirren versus Livingston. Um, two teams, that I guess, for me, I'm, I'm not too sure why I expect from either this year. Um, I had St Mirren as being probably around about the same as last year uh, in terms of fighting relegation, but I also had a feeling that maybe Livingston could struggle as well. Even so, I like the way that they run as a club. I think they're one of the few clubs that made a bit of a profit. Um, and they obviously, you know, bought some interesting players like Alan Forrest and uh, Kuda Raisa. Um, so, um, yeah, interesting to see how these teams pan out. But let's go straight to the action on this one then. On. So, uh, the opening goal, um, for me, it was a bit of a, a weird one. Uh, again, I just felt like Livingston's defence was a bit all over the place. There was an issue with uh, Fitzwater and Dykes in terms of communication. It just, um, yeah, and I think it just all seemed a bit all over the place. What was your thoughts? Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll kind of dig into the detail of this goal, but I guess the first thing I would say is the most important thing about this goal is the goal. So it's a diving header um, on a debut for the club, which is incredible. Uh, I was wondering, do you think, is well, is there a better type of goal than a diving header? Oh wow! Uh, I guess for like, yeah, it's a it's a pretty good goal. It's quite a rare goal to see scored. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna say there's there's not a better goal than a diving header. Okay, maybe like the long kind of half volley that goes in off the bar. 
Okay. But, you know, that's, that's you know, stretching. I, I would take either of those quite <laughs> happily. They'll, they'll, both, they'll both do me, right? <laughs> um, but anyway, in terms of this goal, um, yeah, it, it, it's a bit of a bad one for Livingston, I think. Um, so Livingston got kind of really bunched up on the flank here. Um, and then they're, they're too deep, uh, Bartley in particular. So there's a lack of pressure on the ball. I think that... Um, this this goal has come after a set piece, um, and I think it's often difficult to defend after a corner when maybe the attacking team retains possession, because you know you need to think about how do you get back into your normal defensive structure instead of your kind of set piece descent defensive structure. So that means thinking about you know how do you pass over marking duties to the people who would be responsible in open play um, in a smooth way. How, how do you kind of like say you're Bartley. Bartley is obviously wanting to defend the box in that scenario. Is very concerned about the imminent threat, but you then see the difficulty that arises if he doesn't go and do what would be his natural job, which is to, um, you know, be be the midfield guy that puts pressure on the you know the ball carrier, because then you know the ball carrier gets a, a real good opportunity to take his time and pick somebody out, and, and then you can see what happens in the box where you know people don't necessarily know who they're supposed to pick up. You've got people like Lyndon Dykes in the box who's not a natural you know defensive marker. Um, so there's th- th- kind of that that kind of knock on effect of being put in that kind of transitional um, scenario and not knowing how to deal with that exactly. Um, and the result, as we touched on, is that it's kind of the bad um, pickups between Dykes and Fitzwater and just a, a sensational diving header from Tate, which I just, I mean, given how low this ball is and everything, I mean, he could have, you know, gone for, this is really one where you could go for a kind of sliding volley. Um, it's just unbelievable. Um, great kind of bravery and ambition to go for that. And McCrory has absolutely no chance. I think it's a stunning goal. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you're right, and I think that's again some really good analysis on. Um, let's move on then. So to to Livingston for me, I think they had one sort of really clear chance where Craig Sibbald smashed the bar, um, but I think it was it was hard to tell from the the highlights. But to me, it seemed like there was maybe a lack of a imagination or creativity from Livingston. And I just wonder about what's the their sort of setup. Do you think there's anything they could be doing differently or? Or just your overall thoughts in terms of uh, Livingston's sorry, attacking threat? Well, I, I guess maybe what you could wonder is maybe there's a, a lack of a plan B um, or maybe whether there's options off the bench that can really change things. Um, I think in this game in particular, it's kind of maybe an interesting one to look in on on its own and also to see whether um, further games follow a same pattern because, for instance, they had Effie Ambrose as the left wing-back in this game um, and he's obviously not a natural um, wing-back, let alone a, a left-sided wing-back. Um, he did do some decent things going forward, but you know he's a, he's a right-footer um, and, and he's not really an attacking player. So playing in that kind of role... Is going to affect the type of chances that you create, so that, that that's one aspect to look at. You know, in terms of whether that was a, a hindrance in some ways. Um, they brought uh, Kudaraisa on after an hour for Forest in an attempt to change things up, but they're not really you know a similar type of player. So I'm wondering if maybe removing Forest, you know, as much as that maybe adds on a potential goal threat in terms of Kudaraisa, does it take away um, the kind of creativity? And um, lead to you know you, you you perhaps just you know seeking to go long direct, which I think St Mirren um, 
wouldn't mind too much. You know, get yep. pretty good defensive structure. I think Joe Shaughnessy, as much as obviously Lyndon Dykes is you know fantastic in the air at linking up and stuff, and he, he won a lot of long balls in this game. Joe Shaughnessy is a, a person you'd be pretty confident in terms of dealing with that as well in, in response. Um, they only give Iman Souda kind of ten minutes off the bench towards the end. So yeah, I mean, it might be that perhaps um, something a little bit different might be beneficial for Livingston. I, I still I still have faith in Souda. I still wish that he would um get more of an opportunity to start. maybe even instead of Forrest until Forrest gets kind of up to speed. Yeah. Um at, at this level. Um but yeah a, a pity. You know, Livingston had a fair bit of the ball, quite a lot more shots than St Mirren in this game, but didn't really carve out any particularly good chances, certainly not for Dykes. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I think that my sort of thinking in this one was St Mirren's back line, you already mentioned that they're well structured, but even just from a, a physical uh, point of view, Dykes, you obviously, you know, he's going to do what he does, but if he's up against, you know, Shaughnessy, McCarthy, Fraser, uh, all big guys, uh, Sam Foley as well, so it's, you can't just be direct in this sort of game, I guess, was, was my thinking. I just worry about Livingston in terms of Creativity, but hopefully it comes good. Um, speaking of mm. Lyndon Dykes, there's been rumours of Livingston turning down a bid from Barnsley uh, of £1 million. I guess, take it or leave it on. Uh, leave it. I would wait. Um, I think there's plenty of time left in the window. You know, the transfer window, as we said, is extended this season until the 5th of October. So I don't really see a reason to accept a bid right now. I mean, obviously, you don't want to get into a very unlucky situation like Aberdeen have or, you know, Cosgrove. Um, doesn't go for a move and then gets injured. But I, I think I would wait with Dykes. I have a feeling that that might even be one that hangs around till deadline day in October. Um, I guess that puts them in a difficult spot of trying to prepare a replacement without maybe wanting to have both of those people in in case the Dykes move doesn't happen. But yeah, I, I don't really see the incentive to have to make a, a move on that right now for Livingston. What about you? Uh, I think I would actually take it. Uh, okay. And the reason being, I, th- I don't think that there's many clubs that are going to shell out much more than what you're going to get for Dykes um, and I think that gives you more time to try and uh, improve the overall squad um, you, mm-hmm. you know what a million pounds is probably for one player is probably similar to what their overall season prize money was last year so um, if they can invest some of that in the playing squad then you know uh, I think there's there's a clear candidate for relegation for me that I think Livingston should have enough to be ahead of but I guess that's me just being a bit speculative but uh, yeah I, w- I would take it but we'll we'll wait and see on that one maybe we'll put a, a poll out to the listeners after this one um, so mm. just finishing up on St Mirren how do you see their season going? Just before I answer that one just, just to check are you feeling quite concerned for Livingston this season? I think there's going to be a drop off I think there's they're not going to be as much I think they might be closer to ninth and 10th Mm-hmm. I do sure. I do think there'll be a bit of a drop. I think they've lost too many big players. Um mm. and they need I don't I'm not sure they've replaced them with the right level of quality compared to what they had. So that's why I think if you get the money for Dykes you can maybe pad out the overall squad. Sure. Uh, I think that's a fair take. Um in terms of St. Mirren, um I think it'll be an interesting one to watch. I think that there's been some some pretty good recruitment so far. So Anik and Shaughnessy in particular, I think, should turn out to be good moves. Anik obviously has got big shoes to fill in terms of Ladke, but I think that you know he did pretty well um, at the weekend there, and that will have um, 
obviously there's no actual crowd in there to kind of get on your side. Um, but I think that will have got the St Mirren fans who are probably pretty sad that Ladkey's left behind them. Um, and Shaughnessy did well. I think one of the key obvious things is that they need to take more of their big chances this season. Um, Maurice hit the post with a really good chance in this game. He was very unfortunate, you know, but those are the sort of things that perhaps as the games go and, and you know, they're in very tight games, they, they really need to hope that those things happen. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel relatively positive about what St Mirren have done so far. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I was just thinking, again, when I mentioned their sort of backline, I think there's a lot of teams in Scotland that maybe lack uh, a central creative pattern uh, of play or, a, you know, other than putting the ball in the box. And I think that St Mirren sure. will be able to deal with that pretty well with the height they've got in their team. Um, so, yep. yeah. Um, okay, so let's move on to, I guess, the 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 team that I think has got the, the most problems going into this year, and I'm sure many others do as well. And that's Hamilton facing uh, 10 in a row chasing Celtic. Um no a thousand pound giveaways for this game. Um but just any thoughts on the lineups for this one from Celtic or Aki's one that you want to give? Uh very, very young team from Aki's. Um so you know, a, a lot of kind of academy products and so on, which you know, I, I guess is something that you would expect from Hamilton, you know, well known for kind of developing their own and stuff. Um but even so this was a particularly young team um to go to Celtic Park. Also interesting, I think that Ogbo um wasn't a starter. Um, I think you you might have expected him to be one, particularly against um Celtic's backline, where you might want to be kind of physical. Um, they, they did obviously have some other physical players in there, but he was maybe um a surprise for me. Um, in terms of Celtic, it was very much as expected. You know, the kind of four two three one six setup that we've seen. Um, throughout preseason and the kind of ten outfield players that have been the first choices in that, I guess the only thing that was a possibility was that Barkas might have um, been in instead of Bain and Golds, um, but he had only been there for a matter of days, so you know, not not a complete surprise that he wasn't picked. What about you? Any surprises for you or any mm, thoughts on the lineup? Nothing really, other than what you've covered. To be perfectly honest, but um, I think that. Again, it'll be interesting to see how Celtic um, approach games with their lineup. I, I do wonder how willing they'll be to rotate, but um, we'll just have to wait and see on that one. Um, mm. Is there any way that you felt, sorry, obviously it was a, a demolition by Celtic in the end, but sort of skipping to the end here, but is there any way that you feel that Hamlin could have got some sort of positive result? Uh, a lot of luck, eh? yeah. but um, yeah. In in general, I thought there were some things that Hamilton did quite well in this game. I mean, obviously they had um, they posed some tests for Iron Julian up front. Um, so they had Moyo, uh, obviously a very physical presence, um, and I thought he did well at times. Um, I, I think that you know from set pieces and balls in from the right, um, there were some threats um, to you know Celtic's goal, which was really promising for Mackey's. Um, I guess the other things that I would maybe think about if I was facing Celtic would be um, maybe let Scott Brown have the ball a fair bit. You know, in terms of the progression, try and you know make sure that you're not allowing. Um, I mean, the, the main thing they want to do right is is get. Um, the fullbacks into advanced positions and get them in behind you, or get um, Cal McGregor kind of feeding the ball to Edward in the left half space. Um, so maybe see if you can find ways to stifle that and you know funnel the ball into Scott Brown. Um, I do think that Celtic are weak when they have throw-ins of their own. Um, so I'm not too sure why this is, but 
there seems to be a, a lack of desire, I would say, from the people who are um, around the throne to really move for the person who's taking the throne and give them some options. Um, I don't know if it's a bit of complacency or a bit of arrogance that they think that they can just um, get it and give it back. Um, but that's the sort of thing where I would try and get turnovers, the throw-ins. And, and obviously the other thing is, you know, to try and get some set pieces. Um, so, yeah, not 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 many things that you can do probably um, and a lot of luck needed, but those might be the sort of things that could lead to something. Yeah. You know? so, what about you? Anything else? I, I guess you just need a lot of luck, right? <laughs> um, okay. I think that there's not, there's not enough quality in this Hamilton team overall, and I think um, it's definitely a difficult... Uh, task for them to to try and turn over Celtic at you know Celtic's home ground so anyway let's move on to the demolition itself and uh, we've seen sort of you know an example of Celtic's class overall but um, excellent drive from Frimpong to get the ball forward Edwards ability to control a slightly overhit pass um, Greg Taylor you know getting a, a decent ball into the wing and then a, a composed finish from Edward from a couple of yards out but I guess just one thing for me. Do you think that the ball from Taylor could have been cut out? Uh, sure. I mean, it's right between Jamie Hamilton and the keeper Ryan Fulton. So I think either one of them could have done a bit better. But um, I think it's kind of too late by then. You know, that low cross ball is very difficult to deal with. And even if the keeper gets a hand on it, it maybe spills to an on rushing player or if. Hamilton really tries to cut out, you risk an own goal. Um, so, you know, by the time it gets to that point, um, it's very likely to be a goal. I, I just maybe want to highlight some other things about this goal. So, firstly, um, Frimpong's run, I think, is brilliant. Um, so his his dribbles and ball carries diagonally into the midfield from right back were one of Celtic's best weapons. He's, you know, incredibly exuberant on the ball, direct, pacey um, and difficult to deal with. And that was a, a really kind of unpredictable weapon, um, a real edge for Celtic. I think as Fringpong develops his passing, um, that will get even more threatening. His technique is quite hit or miss at the moment. Um, but in this instance, he, he hit a pretty good pass. You know, Edward managed to kind of control it. It was maybe slightly over hit, but it was the right pass. Um, at other times, he'll maybe want to think about, you know, in that position when he comes internally, can he then knock up the right wing um, for the right winger? Particularly like this, this on this example, you know, left back comes inside and basically takes Frimpong out. So, you know, if you can do that, then the left back's way out of position. There's just it gives you loads of options when Frimpong does that and commits people. And I think once his passing develops, it'll be a real weapon. So a, a good goal, but I, I think more than this just being a good goal on the cross, it's a good example of the type of thing that Celtic can use to make um, chances. Yeah, so I guess we've seen um, Celtic again with these patterns of play throughout this game to some extent. And uh, the second goal, talk me through the pattern of play you've seen here. And do you think that Hamilton were defending too narrow? Um, for me, it felt like they were all a little bit on top of each other. And then given Celtic so much space in the, the wider areas after just being punished from that sort of um, just seemed like, you know, it was just a yeah. bit of deja vu and a, a lack of you know, on pitch uh, sort of learning, I guess. Yeah, I think I think this one was really difficult for Hamilton because Celtic had the ball for quite a stretch of time in the build up to this, and he did some quite nice stuff in the build up that maybe um, caused Aki's to 
be kind of manipulated and get a bit confused and come dead narrow and, and not exactly know who to pick up. So Edward came really deep, link play a couple of times and him and McGregor kind of exchanged passes and, you know, let other people move about. And, and then Edward kind of, you know, played the ball across the pitch. And then Frimpong has come in really narrow um, to get the ball, which obviously then moves Hamilton narrow and, and I, I guess then makes it tough for people to know who to watch and which run to follow. And then, you know, Frimpong's really composed on the ball. And and, um, and then I think that there's not necessarily a specific problem with being quite narrow in that kind of scenario because what else are you going to do? You know, you, you kind of probably need to be relatively narrow. But if you're going to be, the individuals really need to um, keep control of where people are, particularly the, the people that have come narrow. So the Celtic fullbacks probably in this scenario. Um, and, yeah, they, they don't, basically. You know, there's no handle on where Taylor is. And the pass to Taylor is the sort of pass that you're so close to cutting out, but McGregor is just expert at playing that kind of ball that you probably think that you can cut out and you overcommit, and then it's past you. And then, you know, um, the the young um, Aki's um, guy, Hughes, just completely loses where Fringpong is. I mean, he kind of sees him, but then it's too late and it's a goal. Um, and, and that sort of thing is going to be a huge chance maker for Celtic as well this season, you know, where the fullbacks confuse you and, and then there's a, a low cross ball. And, you know, whether it's Forrest or El Yunusi or Fringpong or Taylor or Edward, one of those guys is going to be in the box to tap it in. It's going to be tough for teams. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, when you've got a, an expert finisher as well, Nodson Edward, if you give him a, a, a chance, then um, he's going to take those sort of low cross balls. And you've got people like Christie who are going to be, you know, pouncing on any sort of rebound spells, etc. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, definitely look, look out for that throughout the season. So Hamilton then got a, a consolation goal with a bit of a, a deflection, I guess, from Scott Martin, um, who watched his shot trickle past Scott Bain. Um, and I guess that leads to my opening question. Do you think that Bain could have done any better here? Yeah, I think so. I'm usually pretty forgiving of goalkeepers and deflections are tough, but yeah, he's a bit slow and it's kind of um, close enough to him that I would say he could maybe have done better. Okay, and on that point then, how long before you put Barkas in? Uh, if it's me, maybe straight away. <laughs> I, I, I don't know enough about Barkas to say. I mean, I guess the key thing you'd want to understand is what's he like with his feet? Um, you know, and, and does he need time to adjust to the fact that he might be in a more possession-dominant team? Um, but, um, yeah, Celtic have got, what, Kilmarnock this Sunday, then St Mirren Wednesday, and then Aberdeen Saturday. Um, I guess you'd probably want to give Barkas a go before the European Games. Um, so you, you maybe want to, I don't know, maybe you throw him in for the St Mirren game, potentially. The other thing I just want to say about this goal is that, yeah, as much as Bain could have done better... Scott Brown gets kind of out-muscled in the air and Greg Taylor makes a bit of a, a crap clearance. So I am going to um, put my membership of the Goalkeepers Union uh, oh, card on the table and say there's there's other people at fault for this as well. Yeah, okay. So then we after half-time, we've seen the, the Odds and Edward show uh, really come to light. Mm. Um, the third goal, I thought, was an excellent finish, but it just seemed like Hamilton were all over the place and just really couldn't cope with the movement. Um, what's your sort of thoughts on that one? Um, yeah, well, f- first of all, I want to kind of uh, salute Edward's decision to use social media to um, rubbish Frank McAvenny's opinion that he's disinterested after this with a, a tweet about his hat trick, which I-, I thought was pretty cool from Edward. Um, but in terms of the goal, um, yeah, it's a nice goal, 
But I felt like this is something you'd score against an idiot in FIFA. Um, you're like you're kind of you know tempting them to overcommit defensively on the wing and then just sticking a through ball in behind. Um, so bad defending in terms of who can press the ball and who watches the man on the wing. But then, unfortunately, I know that we spoke about him on last week's podcast, but this goal is a bit embarrassing for Jamie Hamilton in the middle. Um, it's almost like there's no point to him being there, um, the way that Edward kind of out you know, positions and then outpaces him. Um, re- really, really bad from him. Um, it's a really nice finish from Edward, really kind of class finish, although this is the kind of one where I think the ball does a lot of the work for you with a cross like that. You know, it's got a nice bit of pace in it and it kind of, you know, allows you to lift it um, over the keeper. But um, a lovely goal for Celtic, a very, very bad one for Hamilton, I would say. Yeah, I'd agree. And I guess it doesn't get much better for the fourth goal. Um, By the time Edward uh, receives the ball, there's actually seven Hamilton defenders against four Celtic players and Edward is in so much space. Um, It just seemed like it was calamitous. And do you think at this point that Hamilton have maybe not given up, but the you know you're 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 def- deflated, I guess, because there's not a real way of coming into this. You've had so much of the ball taken away from you. Is there anything that you you view? I think they were, I think they were mentally exhausted at this yeah. point. Um, this wasn't the only situation where they had more people around the ball than Celtic did, but they were still kind of. Uh, helpless, hapless, and kind of all over the place. Um, and it, yeah, it must be mentally exhausting. You know, you're having to cope with a team that can go narrow, you know, bring lots of people into the box and overwhelm you, but also work the wings. They've got people like Christie who can go past the ball and be a threat. Um, and then, you know, you've still got to keep an eye on um, Edward as well. So ridiculously difficult, but yeah, a bunch of bad decisions by Aki's players. Um, but difficult to deal with the movement and the kind of overplay from Celtic at that point and just, you know, must be exhausting. So, yeah, a shame. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the sort of icing on the cake was when uh, Patrick Komala, um sort of finished the game off with a, a through ball from Julian that split basically all of Hamilton's midfield and defence. Um, Kamala sort of goes through and it's a little bit, to me when I watched it back, it looked like a little bit of a sort of scuffed finish but I, I, you know, we scored a goal. It was a nice finish. Um, but yeah, any other thoughts on that one? Anything else to add? Uh, not really. The goal was way too easy. That's all. Um, uh, you know, with that kind of straight through ball from Julian. Um, good for Klamala to get a goal. Um, bad for Lee Griffiths and certainly Vacun Bio that he did, I guess. Um, but yeah, um, I agree with you there that that was too easy a goal, um, and not too much to say about that. It's just a kind of added on, um, you know, further kind of rubbing salt in the woods at the end. Mm. You know. Okay, and I guess what would you do you say about Celtic's performance overall? I think this was obviously a pretty good performance from Celtic. I mean, you probably really couldn't say anything other than that about a game where you you, you score five goals. They made loads of good chances, um, scored plenty of goals. Um, I think that it's a real positive for Edward and the two fullbacks to have such big starts to the season. That will give obviously a real boost. I think there's some kinks to work out um, about this kind of setup and and how they started. I think for me, Elianusi. Um, got into Edward's space too much uh, and they weren't really rotating with each other effectively. I think that when Edward drops off into left half space, 
El Yunusi then has got to get out of his way, but also not necessarily take up the space that Taylor wants to go into. Um, can he maybe go beyond Edward and then uh, you know op- occupy the centre forward space, um, rotate with him, link with him? Also, I felt that although there were some nice touches from Christie, you know he was kind of involved in the build up to the very first goal. Um, he maybe didn't get beyond Edward into scoring spots quite often enough that there was obviously the, the Edwards final goal where he did do that but I just want him to be doing that loads um, and I think that he needs to be mindful of not occupying Frimcom's space as well um, in this kind of system where you know Christie's supposed to be the kind of central uh, attacking midfield threat he was still maybe veering out to the right a little bit too much for me and, and the other things obviously at the other end um, so Celtic did concede some decent chances obviously conceded a goal but from crosses and set pieces there were some um, weaknesses throughout and I think um, not not to kind of labour on a pure football um, kind of uh, repeat special topic here but there's some question marks over Scott Brown in defensive situations which is something for them to think about uh, and the other thing I was kind of surprised about is that um, Lennon didn't maybe, you know, make a decision to make some substitutions a wee bit earlier when they were kind of coasting. He could have given Sorrow some minutes instead of Brown, perhaps, um, to kind of get him involved. Um, you know, th- those kind of things. However, in saying that, five um, one puts a real marker down, and it's I-, I was kind of looking at the fixtures and stuff, and I think it's a great start for Celtic, and it's entirely possible that they go unbeaten or maybe even record a, a huge amount of wins before they face Rangers in mid-October. Yeah, I think it's going to be very difficult um, for teams to catch Celtic or even sort of lay a glove on them. Um, an absolute prize fighter. Uh, I guess the next final question this game is, uh, is this the year that uh, the Scottish Premiership's nuclear cockroach-esque <laughs> team finally goes down in Hamlin or are they going to find a way again? What's your thoughts? Will it be Armageddon for the Ackies? <laughs> yeah. um, would it surprise you if I said maybe and, <laughs> and don't really want to make a decision on this quite yet? Generally, I'm trying not to make too many predictions too early this season um, and I'm giving myself the excuse that the transfer window doesn't shut for two months. I think for Ackies, it's going to be really, really tough. I wouldn't probably want to judge any team um uh, from their first game, and I certainly wouldn't want to judge them from their first game if it's away to Celtic. Keep in mind what happened to St Johnston last season, um, you know, and, and they stayed up. Um, obviously, you know, people have thought that Ackies would go down more times than St Johnston recently, but you know, um, the, the the key thing for me is that between kind of third and twelfth, I think things are going to be pretty unpredictable this season, um, and most teams could take points off each other there. So I'm not saying. What about you? You're going to say yes or no? Are they going down? I'll give the listeners what they want to hear. Yes, Hamilton <laughs> are going down. Uh, okay, fair enough. Unless you're a Hamilton fan, then you don't want to hear that. <laughs> but yeah, I think this is the year. I think there's too much of a gap in quality between Hamilton and the rest of the league. Um, okay. So, yeah. Um, okay, so just quickly, tonight we had Ross County play Motherwell. Um, mm. So Monday night, at the time of recording, the result finished 1-0 Ross County. Um, with Ross Stewart scoring from the penalty spot after a pretty clumsy tackle by Declan Gallagher. Any sort of thoughts on that, Owen? Yeah, well, I only saw the first half of this. We, we started recording the podcast at halftime, but I did watch the first half, and it was a pretty good game. Um, the, the kind of very brief thoughts I had were um, that David Turnbull played at left wing for Motherwell, at least in the first half, um, which is 
maybe not a natural fit for him physically, um, but he, he looked pretty assured. He looked good on the ball. It was very encouraging to see him back playing, you know, kind of football in a um, competitive match. Um, but that, that maybe limited Motherwell somewhat that, um, you know, they didn't have that kind of natural um, wide attack and midfield threat um, in, in his place. And also, um, Alan Campbell started on the bench for Motherwell. I'm not too sure what the reason for that was, but I felt that that meant that Motherwell perhaps didn't have as much intensity or control in the midfield as they might normally have. Um, it was Donnelly, O'Hara and Polworth in the midfield. Um, for Ross County, uh, a couple of kind of quick interesting kind of notes. So the left-hand side for Ross County was pretty interesting. Um, Ross Stewart was playing uh, as a kind of fairly unconventional left wing kind of attacking threat and and he scored a really nice penalty after you know you mentioned Gallagher made a kind of bit of a um a reckless challenge on on Harry Payton but um prior to that Stuart had had a, a really good chance really nicely saved um a kind of close in um crashing kind of hit that was tipped onto the bar from a tight angle and behind him on the left hand side um, just want to mention Josh Reed, who is a 18 year old who is playing as left back for Ross County and he's a really promising player and I thought he did great um, tonight in the first half at least from what I saw um, he kept Jake Hasty quiet um, he was you know quick and tenacious in the tackle close you know kind of closing down but also he was cam on the ball played some nice combinations with Stuart so he's one to watch really good um I think um in the second half it looks as though Motherwell had a penalty that um Donnelly didn't score um and beyond that it doesn't necessarily look as though they made that many um great opportunities and and fair play to Ross County for holding on for a win that's a pretty exceptional result from them. Um, from what I saw in the first half towards the end of it, when Motherwell were 1-0 down, um, Ross County were quite happy to kind of sit in a kind of 4-5-1, quite deep shape, um, and let basically Declan Gallagher have the ball and be the kind of main kind of playmaker for Motherwell and just allow him maybe to play it out to Motherwell's fullbacks. Um, and, and Ross County were happy to deal with that. So they, they did really well from what I saw. Yeah, I think that you're right. That is a really good result for Ross County and I guess a better blow for, for Motherwell early on. Um, mm. I think that the situation with Alan Campbell will be really interesting this season. I think yeah. Motherwell have actually got quite a lot of depth in their team um, in terms of, well, from the midfield to the forward position. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they spread out the minutes this year. Um I think. And he's out of contract, Campbell, um, exactly. next summer. So it'll be interesting to see whether they're going to try and move him on. Maybe that's why he's on the bench. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Um, to watch. And I'd love to say that I feel sorry for Liam Donnelly missing a penalty, but I absolutely don't. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. And I, I guess I do wonder, I think I mentioned last week as well, that I wonder if it'll be easier for Ross County to improve and have a strategy um, now that they've only got one voice on the sideline. Um so, yeah, mm. interesting to see how that plays. Uh, and also just a quick shout-out to David De Gea retweeting the picture of uh, Ross County manager uh, Stuart Kettlewell um, as they look quite similar. Uh, so, yeah, big sh- big fan of that. Uh, hopefully we can see De Gea and Dingwall. Uh, I think that's <laughs> something that we all need in our life. Um, Is he at a level they require now, though, after all his recent uh, decline? Well, that's mm. true. There's competition. Laidlaw's got a clean sheet, and then you've got uh, Ross doing on the bench. So, who knows? Who knows? Um, Maybe as a brother, Ross the hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and that's us for this week. Um, if you've liked what you've heard, then please share, subscribe, tell a friend. Um, we are delighted to be back and delighted to be talking Scottish football. Um, and you can find us on Twitter at Pure Football. And Owen, if the listeners want to interact with you specifically, where can they get you? I'm at Owen James Brown on Twitter. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Goodbye.